You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Jumping forward quite a ways out of uh, we were in Psalm 56 last week, and uh, we'll be in the Psalms till the end of this month. I want you to think back over this last week, all the events, big and small, that took place, and tell me what good things happened this week. Got to see God's creation. Yep. Yeah, fireweed seemed like it exploded this week. It's been pretty fun to watch. What else? What good things happened this week? Got to meet new people. Coming together before July was fun. Yeah. Just hanging out. Yep. Sense of community. Positivity in that. What else good happened this week? Got so many mosquitoes. Got so many mosquitoes. Yeah. Delayed onset of the things that shall not be named that usually come towards the end of July. What else? What other good things happened this week? Did anybody eat a meal that you enjoyed? Yes? Did any of you have at any point in time during the week some ache or pain that stopped a headache or an upset tummy? Did any of you sin and God graciously forgave you? I was not smoked. You were not smoked this week. There you go. Did you wake up? Did you go to sleep? Did you have people around you that cared for you? Did you have sufficiently what you needed in certain circumstances? Were you provided safety when you were in dangerous scenarios? All of these were good gifts. In fact, the Bible calls them benefits of the Lord. Psalm 103 tells us that we ought to bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. And so the charge for us today is to be pushed into this reality that God is so incredibly gracious to us in gigantic and huge, monumental, incredible ways and in very small, mundane, and easily overlooked ways. God's benefits are of great blessing for us and we ought not miss any of them. Psalm 103 reads this way. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. He acted to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to His to children's to His children's children to those who keep His covenants and remember His precepts to do them. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength who perform His word. Obey the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, who you who serve Him doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. The psalmist is David in this particular psalm. Um, There's a lot of speculation when David wrote this. Um, But I think I lean towards uh, Charles Spurgeon as he looks at this, that he says, the tone of this as you read the Psalms of David and know the story of David, this sounds like a much older David. A David that has walked through all the fires that he has walked through, has experienced the challenges that he has, and has the, uh, the recollection of one looking back on a life Uh, that was full of both challenges that had to be overcome and blessings that were enjoyed. It sounds much the same as the difference between Solomon writing Song of Solomon and the joy of new marriage and the, the dynamic of those kind of things versus Solomon writing, uh, Ecclesiastes and the, the dynamic of the reality of I chased after everything I wanted to have and what I found in the end was that it was dust. What I thought was uh, good and pleasurable really wasn't and what I found in the end 
was that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. David, as he writes this, draws in the heart towards utter and complete worship. And we talk about worship in terms oftentimes of music and poetry, uh, but oftentimes those things are the things that we do in event situations, right? When we think of worship, we think of Sunday morning. We have the time of worship or the musical component of worship. And sometimes we have a mistake thinking that worship ends when the songs stop and when the sermon comes in, that's discipleship or something different. But it is worship. It's the acknowledgement of who God is as that changes our heart and shapes us to be in uh, who we are. Do you also realize that uh, as you cook a meal, you are doing if you are doing it for the Lord, that is worship. If you're having a cup of coffee with a friend with the, the uh, goal of seeing that friendship blossom into what God intends for it to be, that is worship. If you find yourself on the bank of the river and seeing the mighty power of the water and seeing the blue sky and seeing the uh, iridescent blue uh, dragonfly as it buzzes past you and you find yourself in awe and wonder of God in that moment, it is worship. But oftentimes we don't think of the act of thanksgiving as worship. To stop and pause and think about what it is that God does in our lives and does for us and graciously gives to us in those moments, it is for us to stop and pause and ponder and reflect on the goodness and character of who God is. And in that moment, we find ourselves in worship. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and All that is within me, bless His holy name. And if you think about the totality of who you are, or the statement of all that is within me, this is the culmination of all of your trauma, all of your education, all of your experiences, all of your relationships, all of your hobbies, all of your joys, all of your sorrows, everything that is in me, bless the Lord by His name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Now, benefit might be a word that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because the word that's used here, it is a very good translation of that word. Benefit is the same term that we would use in benefits of employment. When you work employment... You get certain benefits. I know the teachers union just went through a renegotiation where they were uh, figuring out what their particular benefits were, pay versus uh, time of leave and all those things. And it is contractually binding in the relationship that you have as an employed individual what your benefits are. This is the word that is used here. He says, forget none of God's benefits to you. And the contractual terms that are given to this passage, this whole uh, psalm, are things like, towards those who fear Him. Towards those who keep His covenant to do them. Toward those who acknowledge Him for who He is. There is a contractual agreement between the benefits of God and us experiencing them. 
Now this is a hard thing for us to comprehend because there are some good things that are just universally true. Jesus explained this when He taught on the principle that the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. It was the principle of general grace that God is good to humanity. That pagans, atheists, can enjoy a very well-cooked steak in the same way that a God-loving Christian can. They're gracious and good gifts. But there's something distinct in the nature of what God does in the life of a believer that fulfills the reality of that gift. There's a sense of entitlement of those who do not acknowledge the reality of what God is doing in their lives. And so they think that the end goal of that item, that object, that experience, that pleasure in and of itself is the God that they are after. Whereas the Christian realizes that every good thing that is given to them is given by their Heavenly Father. And it's that much more precious because we realize that we don't actually deserve it. Because look at what the benefits are. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, forgives your sins. Forgiveness is such an interesting thing. Everybody that's married knows the nature of forgiveness. Right? Because you have lots of opportunities to practice the reality of it. But it's one thing that I don't think people really realize going into marriage just how much forgiveness is going to play out in the nature of marriage and that forgiveness is not forgetting but releasing debt. Oftentimes when we think of forgiveness, we think of it in terms of, well, you, you know, I just need to forget that it happened, right? It's no big deal. It's water under the bridge. It's, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm taking it on the chin and it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't even think about it anymore. But the Bible never describes forgiveness in terms of forgetting. It's not like when God looks at us, He's like, man, I, there's like whole decades of Martin's life I can't remember, right? I'm picking on Martin. <laughs> he gives thumbs up, right? It's not like God looks at our lives and says, man, I can't remember. God remembers. But when He forgives, it's Him releasing the debt. And you understand this and the nature of it. If somebody wrongs you, if somebody says something against you or somebody betrays you, there's a sense of, I want them to make it right. They've taken something from me. They've taken trust from me. They've uh, taken emotion from me. They've taken something physically from me. And I want them to pay it back. But the reality of almost all sins is that it is impossible for it actually to be paid back. Right? The person says the hateful thing to you and it can't be unsaid. They do the hateful thing to you and it can't be undone. So what has to happen? If you go to the bank and you take a loan out and then you decide or you are in, unable to then return that loan, one of two things has to happen. 
right? It either is on you and you uh, get a file injunction against you and there's liens and all these kind of things because you have to pay back the debt. Or what happens to the bank? They eat the debt. The debt doesn't go away. Somebody has to eat the debt. And so when we think of the goodness of God and we bless Him in His benefits, He starts out with this incredible reality that God pardons our sins. That when we sin, yes, we often sin against other people. There is a horizontal element to our sin. But we sin against God in whose image we are made. That's actually what defines it as sin. When we are unloving towards a human being, it is a direct affront against God who is the image of love and the definition, the north star, if you will, that defines what love is. And God forgives us of those. But as we already said, forgiveness does not come without an assumption and a payment of that. Every time you forgive someone, it is you making the conscious decision to own their debt that they drew out from you. He heals all your diseases. Now this is a passage that's been used uh, quite erroneously throughout the last hundred years mostly, in circles that said, see, look, God desires to heal every one of you. If you're a Christian, you will not stay. You might get sick, but you won't stay sick. And they use passages like this or passages like Isaiah 53 where it says that by His wounds we are healed and those kind of dynamics. I think this is a, a simple and profound thing in two ways. One, it is simple in the sense of if you had the sniffles this week and today you don't, God was gracious towards you. If you had a headache at one point in time and you were able to drink water or take Tylenol or do something and the headache went away, God was gracious to you this past week. But if you are at the place tomorrow where you get the call that you have terminal stage 4 cancer and you've got three months left to live, and you pray, God, heal me, and at the end of three months you die, God is faithful to this passage. Because we know that the end result of this life holds no bounds on our eternity. That God's graciousness, God's power, God's sovereignty to heal all our diseases is one that is profound. He has the ability to do it. He redeems your life from the pit, from Sheol, from the grave. This is Him pointing to that reality of saying, not only does He heal our diseases, but when we die, He still saves us. And He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion and then satisfies your years with good things. Literally in the Hebrew it says, He gives you fat to eat. And everybody in interior Alaska said, Amen. Right? Like that's, that's the point of it. If you enjoy a meal, God is being gracious 
to you in that moment. There's so much of end times theology that is based around food. This gathering of uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where we could spend 10,000 years literally just standing up and lifting our glass before the Lord and saying, let me tell you about the goodness of my God. And you spend your entire lifetime explaining the goodness of God that you then see with full clarity. And at the end of it, everybody goes, yes and amen. And another round of perfectly good steaks come out. right? And then the next person gets up and does the same thing. This is what he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. The promises of God into eternity is that we will see all of those things. But what he wants to remind us of is that today, in this moment, right now, we ought to do that. We do that in two ways. We do that by looking to the past and seeing how God has been faithful in years in the past. He says in verse 6, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. And we go, well, I know lots of oppressed people in this world and it seems like that's not a true statement. What is this? He has made a transition in this moment. He's starting to talk about Israel and we see that because his next statement is he says, He made known His ways to Moses. This is him drawing him back to the story of God in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, as they were enslaved in Egypt, not a people, but an enslaved people under the oppression, under the thumb of Pharaoh. And God spoke to Moses and He drew them out and He saved them from that and He's calling them to be reminded. David in this moment is calling them to say, remember where you came from. Remember where I have brought you from. And if you can know that and you can see His goodness, you can see His faithfulness in it, these are His acts to the sons of Israel. And as we think back to the past and we go, yep, no, God did an incredible thing. But there's also a funny thing when we look to the past. I don't know about you. You can look to the past and you can see all of those pinnacle moments where God pins your life and you're like, God was there. God was evident. God was saving me. God was moving me. But you also, when we look to the past, that's where we see all of our screw-ups. Right? We look to the past and we also remember, oh yeah, man, I screwed up that time. Oh man, I messed up. I so shouldn't have said that. Am I the only person that ever has those moments where you sit back and you think like, oh, that was so dumb. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? I am the only one? Jeez, alright. Fine. No, this is why I think in verse 8 he goes into the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. As Melissa said this morning, God was gracious and He didn't smoke her this week. And we look back over our entire life and that's the story of it, right? I always love this picture uh, in, in Hebrew, the word that is used here for slow to anger. It literally means long. God has a long nose. And you go like, that seems really funny, right? But it's this idea of somebody gets mad and their face begins to get flush. And it, and it begins, when it gets flush, it gets red, right? And it gets red and red and red and it takes a while for it to finally actually flush up where they're fully enraged. God's slow to anger. So patient. So gracious. So long-suffering. 
abounding in loving kindness, this affectionate nature of God's redemptive work towards us. He won't always be at war with us, he says. He, uh, his, he will not keep His anger forever. And here's the graciousness of God. In fact, this is the grace of God pointing forward. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Thank God for that. If we think that God is a God that is only going to ever act according to the way that we deserve, we're in trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. Because again, we always look at our lives a lot nicer than the reality of our own lives, right? It's kind of an extreme example, but it's like we were standing in court and we're a serial killer. And we've killed 30 people. Brutally murdered 30 people. And it's as if our defense before the judges, but think of all the people I didn't kill. Right? That's our defense. Think of all the people that I was not... I mean, like serial killers have to go to grocery stores and buy groceries. And they don't kill the teller. Or the stock clerk. Or anybody else. And if their, if their statement is, but I was so kind to them. I was so helpful for them. It doesn't undo the reality of it. This is an, an extreme case of it. But God does not deal with us according to our sins nor according to our iniquities. And this is the whole story of God's redemptive plan in the nation of Israel. Right? I mean, there's so much that happens between Moses and David. The period of the judges. That's a train wreck, right? Saul, that's a train wreck. And David, in a lot of ways, still a train wreck. And he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards us. As far up as the universe goes, that's how high His loving kindness is for us. And if we're wondering how it is that He has not dealt with us according to our sins, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. He's using the biggest terms that He possibly can to describe God's graciousness towards us. This is him pointing to the past and saying, look at the past of what I have done and see if I will not be faithful to you in this moment. Give praise to God for His benefits that He gives to you today. But then he also, from this point, moves on to a, um, you might call it a philosophical or a theological view of man and God's placement in that. It says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. For as for a man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind is passed over, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. I love the beauty, simplicity, and rawness of this passage because it describes this picture of as we've all driven to the airport or the 
the post office or run to AC or run to Sweetzers or ran out the dump road or made a boat drive or any of these kind of things. Uh, as Derek said, we got in awe of God's creation, right? Last year, it was rainy and it was, uh, you know, just things just didn't come out. Like there was no fireweed anywhere at all last year. There were the plants, but none of them flowered, right? And then this year, all of a sudden, boom, they're everywhere. It's just massive fields of purple. And you're like, whoa, it's so incredible and it's so beautiful and it's so, uh, in, you know, it's oh, so inspiring. And then September's going to come and they're all going to be gone. And then we all go back to brown. And then we go back to white. And those beautiful moments are gone. He says, God knows our frame that we're dust. The biggest, most important mover and shaker on the planet is simply dust. We think we might have all the influence, have all the answers, have all the strength, have all the emphasis. But we're dust. And not only that, he says, when the wind passes over it, it's no more, and, the pl- and its place acknowledges it no longer. It's always a fascinating thing, everything I do. All right, now I'm doing um, two distinct projects. I'm doing a new construction, something that has never been before, is now being, and that's in that uh, space. And I'm also doing remodeling. And you know what the really frustrating thing of remodeling is? especially if it's remodeling that was new construction that you did, you're working and undoing work that you've already done. And every remodeling job I've ever done in my entire career of handyman stuff, every time I do it, as I'm busting something apart, I'm sitting there thinking about the guy that was sitting there in the hot sun, building the thing, working it out, making it be there, that I'm completely undoing all of his labor. And his labor ceases to be. We think about the interesting things about when they do archaeological digs and they find the bones of people long dead. And to the archaeologist, it's just a, it's an artifact with a number and a tag. If it's in a particular place, it has ethnic uh, distinction to it and honor associated with that. And this is the bones of an ancestor and so there's honor involved in that. But even in the reality of that... Think about that. That bone belonged to a person that had a lifetime of memory that is no longer remembered. It's gone. No clue. How did they act? What were their mannerisms? What were their favorite nervous tics? What hobbies did they have? Who did they love? How did they sin? What was their favorite thing to eat? All these things. What did they accomplish? It's all gone. Dust. And so will we be if the Lord tarries. And if this is true, then we could look at it, if this world is all that there is, if we really are in true uh, humanism, that matter is all that exists, then that's a pretty depressing thought, isn't it? Work your whole life. Be as successful. Give to your children. Several generations, five generations down the road, it'll all be gone. Forgotten, changed, undone. 
But thanks be to God and His benefits, that's not the way our life works. When the wind passes over it, it is no more, and the place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children. To those who keep His covenant, remember to do His precepts. We are charged to worship the Lord, bless the Lord with our soul, everything that is in us, and forget none of His benefits because our life is fleeting. Our actions will be forgotten in this world, but God's loving kindness will not pass us by. He'll know us forever. He'll keep us forever. And so He concludes in a doxology of praise, inviting the heavenly hosts to worship. He says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength who perform His word. Obey the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you who serve Him and do His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His. In all places of His dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now the point I want us to bring on this is it feels like a preachy psalm. It's Him saying, uh, this is God who pardons all your iniquities. This is God who heals all your diseases. Like it's an outward thing. But look how He begins the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's as if David is taking his soul out turning it around to look at it, and preaching to himself. And this is what oftentimes worship needs to be for us. That it's us preaching to ourselves the goodness and benefits of God. Saying, Chris, do you realize how much God has pardoned your sin? Do you remember that? Chris, do you realize that God has healed your diseases That He's redeemed your life, Chris, from the pit. This act of worship is not one that is pointing out to everybody else, but it is one that is actually pointed inward. That as we worship, we're inviting other people in to see, but this is primarily directed at us. Into our own heart, calling us to greater worship. That God has not pardoned our sin as though they didn't matter. He paid the penalty for our sin in Jesus. Redeemed us to life in Him. Promises us eternity and has given us His Holy Spirit to walk through both the joys and sorrows of this life. And in all of that, we are called to live in such a way that we say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your benefits. We're thankful for Your graciousness, Your loving kindness. We're thankful that You are slow to anger and abounding in much love. That You do not deal with us according to what we deserve. That You gave us Jesus to substitute His life for ours, His righteousness for our rebellion. And so God, help us to say to our soul, 
Bless the Lord. And help us not only to say it, but to do it. To do it in the way that we interact with our family members, in the way that we work at the clinic or at the school, at the city. As we work in this community, as we're friends with people, help us to bless the Lord, verbally giving thanks for all your benefits. Help us to join with the heavenly hosts that are doing this continually day and night before your throne. Remind us, God, just how great you really are. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.